For the most part, we like what we like and we value what we value because at some point, someone told us that those were good things and we believed them. But how do we know they were actually right? The story of Jesus gives us the opportunity to rethink and reevaluate what influences we've allowed to shape us and possibly consider a new primary influence that promises to be what we've been looking for all along. Hard to believe that hype? Maybe. So let's talk about it together. None of us were formed in a vacuum, like just free to become who we decide to be. No, we are all products of our influences. We are who we are because someone or some someone's input influenced our thinking and our view of the world. Sometimes it's very subtle and other times it's, it's not so subtle. Sometimes we choose these influences. Sometimes we're born into these influences. Sometimes we just stumble upon them. Whether it's our, our parents or our teachers or our coaches, our siblings, our friends, maybe the media or, or news or our culture, these influences eventually affect every aspect of our lives, our choices, our thoughts, our views, our feelings, our politics, our religion, our entertainment, our values, our reactions. For me, like my family was a huge influence. Like I like spicy food because my family likes spicy food. I'm a football guy because my family watched football, not basketball. I think may, one of the main reasons I'm in ministry is because my family was in ministry and that's just how I saw the way the world worked. Uh, how I love, I like being in the outdoors because my family taught me to like the outdoors. I play guitar a certain way because my teacher John played guitar a certain way. We created a church where everyone's welcome because I learned from my wife's family, like just invite people in and love them. And as I've said before, I hate snakes because Indiana Jones hates snakes. And my kids love Star Wars and Legend of Zelda because I love Star Wars and Legend of Zelda. And my kids love Harry Potter because my wife loves Harry Potter and all the evil witchcraft and all of that. You might be saying to yourself, Oh, but that's, you know, I'm an individual. I'm a free thinker. Well, who told you that that was a good thing? See, that comes from our Western values. In the Eastern world, that's not really a very valuable thing to be an individual and just think for yourself. But what's great about being a human is we aren't stuck. We have the ability to choose to add new inputs and eliminate others. I remember I used to listen to talk radio all the time, a big fan, but it was always getting me angry. And so I turned it off and got new influences. Now, unfortunately, and this really isn't our fault, we don't usually think about what is influencing us. We just try to, you know, we're just trying to get to the next weekend or to the next paycheck or next promotion or next relationship or next milestone in our life. And by the way, we're just busy making sure our kids have the right influences before we can think about our influences. But Jesus offers something better. Not a life free of influences, no. He offers to be the influence through which and by which we can evaluate every other input trying to force its way into our minds. He offers to make us into who we were always meant to be and to become an influence for good ourselves. And we see this clearly in Mark's account of Jesus' life. We see it really in the difference between his fans and his disciples. And so far in this story of Jesus that we've been looking at, Jesus has become a very, very popular person in the area. His, he's been teaching like nobody's taught before. He's actually been healing people and casting out demons. He's been challenging the old way of doing religion, and he's really starting to get pressure from the religious leaders. But the common people love him. And so at this point, he goes outside of the town by a lake where there's you know more room to have more people around and more freedom to move about, and the religious leaders don't really have much influence outside of the town. 
Jesus went out to the lake with his disciples, and a large crowd followed him. They came from all over Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, from east of the Jordan River, and even from as far north as Tyre and Sidon. The news about his miracles had spread far and wide, and vast numbers of people came to see him. Jesus instructed his disciples to have a boat ready so the crowd would not crush him. He had healed many people that day, so all the sick people eagerly pushed forward to touch him. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God! But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. And so we see the, the disciples and the crowd, really the two main groups of people around Jesus that we'll see in the book of Mark. And yeah, we also see his enemies, but those really are like the few but loud groups, you know. So why are these crowds flocking to Jesus? Well, you know, it's Jesus. So it's because they heard his message and, and want to repent and believe and they want to live in the kingdom of God now, right? No, they, they want to be healed. See, in a world where medical practices were rather primitive, anyone who could cure diseases and anyone who could cure anyone of any disease free of charge would become a very popular person very fast. And so these people came to Jesus because they wanted to benefit from Jesus, which is completely understandable. I mean, that's human nature, right? But very, it's actually very similar to today, to today. Most people don't have an animosity toward Jesus of Nazareth. They see him as, you know, a mildly interesting historical figure with probably some good teaching and philosophy. And sure, someone might go listen to someone talk about him or, or sing about him to hopefully get, you know, something to help them through their week or maybe to help them enjoy their, their Christmas season. And if he can give them something to help their lives a bit, well, they aren't against trying it out. But he's not really a, a major influence on their lives. It's just more part of their like, culture of influence. He's maybe one of many, many options and inputs they have. And he's good for a little course correction, maybe a spiritual shot in the arm. But, you know, that's about it. And that's not bad. But Jesus is so much more than that. And he offers so much more than that. But to find it, we have to realize the difference between being part of the crowd and being a disciple. See, we can follow Jesus as a healer and philosopher, or we can follow him as our leader and king. Now, his true identity wasn't really something that was known to the people yet. They hadn't recognized, you know, that he was something more than just this teacher yet. But his identity was something the demons knew at once. They were very much aware that they had come up against an infinitely superior spiritual power and really couldn't do anything about it. And so when Jesus would cast them out of people, they would throw a tantrum and then try to blow his cover, right? And again, it says Jesus sternly commands, which is really Bible talk for, tells them to shut the heck up and cast them out. Now, why? Why does he tell them to shut up and not tell people who he actually is? Well, one of the reasons is it's not time for the crowds to know Jesus' true identity yet. Jesus doesn't need more fans. He needs something more, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I think he also tells them to shut up because it's also not time for the current leadership to know who Jesus is. See, for Jesus to be the Son of God meant he was there to set up a new kingdom, which, of course, he was. And a new kingdom requires revolutions against the old kingdom, right? Which again, he was there to bring, but not in the way anyone would understand yet, especially the current king backed by the current ruling empire. And besides, you can't really have a real revolution unless you have followers who are equipped to take part in that revolution. So, afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him, and they came to him. And so Jesus goes up on a mountain, like this mountainous region around where he was living. 
And this going up on a mountain, this isn't like some nice little fun camping trip with Jesus. No. See, the cultural and political climate of the time was very precarious and tumultuous. And a lot of people wanted to overthrow the puppet kingdom the Romans had install, installed and restore Israel's true independence. And so from time to time, charismatic leaders would draw people to themselves and try to begin revolts. And the mountainous region was where revolutionaries went to plot and train and prepare, away from the prying eyes of Rome and the temple, which was often in the pocket of the empire. And in a sense, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. See, Jesus didn't come to give us nice teachings. He came to give us a revolution. And he needed leaders in his revolution. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them his apostles. They were to accompany him, and he would send them out to preach, giving them authority to cast out demons. So he chooses 12 people. Why 12? Like, is that all that was available? There's these 12 guys that were following him around? Or like, okay, if there's 12, then, you know, when we have to go clean the toilets, we only have to do it like one month a year, right? No. See, every Jew knew that originally there had been 12 tribes of Israel. But 700 years earlier, the Assyrians had invaded and took the 10 northern tribes into captivity, and those tribes were actually never heard from again. But Israel's prophets had promised, had promised that God would restore Israel. And many Jews at the time were waiting and longing for the restoration of a new Israel, where God would turn everything around and make Israel great again. So Jesus choosing 12 main people is a very clear and revolutionary statement. Is he saying that he considers himself the one who, who will restore true Israel, and in reality, true humanity. And so what was the assignment for these 12 people? What was the assignment for the 12 people who would actually end up changing the world? Well, it says they would accompany him, meaning they would be with him, and they would learn about him, and they would learn from him. They were to be with him, to be influenced by him. And once they were thoroughly influenced, then they would be sent out to preach and to do the things that he was doing. A disciple chooses to be purposely influenced by Jesus in such a way that they eventually say and do the same things he did. So, who did he choose? What were their qualifications? These are the twelve he chose. Simon, whom he named Peter. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, but Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. So what were the requirements to be a disciple there? I don't know. Like, apparently, the only qualification needed to be a disciple of Jesus is to have a name. And you might say, well, um, maybe it's, you know, you got to be at least a man, right? He only chose men. That's true. But that has more to do with, like, the culture and the time they were in. And maybe the fact that as they were going to be traveling, they'd be sharing basic resources and accommodations. I don't think this is some theological idea that Jesus uses men more or uses men differently than women. And as we'll see later in the story and the other accounts of Jesus' life, there were many women who also had names that were heavily involved in Jesus' ministry. And in fact, at least one of these women sat at the feet of Jesus to learn as only male disciples typically did in that time. Like that was incredibly rare for that time and place. So, now, try to put yourself in their sandals. Like you were just chosen to be one of the inner people. Like wouldn't it be amazing to be chosen by God himself to be with him? Like trained to be one of the people to bring his kingdom to earth now and to be formed to work with God himself to change and save lives, to learn how to show people the power and the love of Jesus. Like wouldn't that just be mind-blowing to be chosen by like this God, this pivotal moment of human history. 
Well, you know what? You are. You are chosen. That is Jesus' invitation to all of us. In fact, the passage we've been reading this last week, Jesus says it very clearly. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. See, he invites everyone. But to be like Jesus, we have to be with Jesus. See, he doesn't just choose the 12 and then say, now you're chosen, go. No, it's not until three chapters later in Mark that they actually get their first chance to try it out being like like Jesus. See, first they have to spend time with him by purposely learning and training and watching Jesus. And throughout the story, they are still learning and failing and growing. And we don't use the word disciple very much in our culture, right? But you know what word we do use is apprentice. And it's really the same idea. So what does like an apprentice electrician do? Well, he works for and he works with the master electrician, learning to do what they do, watching them, asking questions, hanging out with, with other electricians, practicing and learning with the purpose of becoming like the master electrician. To be a disciple of Jesus at the core means to apprentice ourselves to Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, he lived in and he lived out the kingdom of God for the good of others. And then he made it possible for other people to experience the kingdom of God themselves. And when we apprentice ourselves to Jesus as his disciple, we learn to do the same. How? It's not by knowing a lot. Like you don't become a master electrician just by reading books about electricity and going to electrician lectures and conferences. No, you become a master electrician by actually doing the work. Discipleship isn't knowing about Jesus's life. It's about becoming like Jesus in our life. If he were living my life, how would he live it? Like if you're a teacher, how would Jesus, how would he treat his students? How would he design his curriculum? If he sold insurance, how would he interact with his clients? How would he choose his policies for them? If Jesus was a parent to my kid, how would he interact with them? How would he train them? Like, how would he accomplish his primary purpose of seeking and saving the lost if he were living my life right now? How would he preach the good news of the kingdom of God? That's how, what it means to be apprenticed to Jesus. How would he live his life in my life? Okay, but that sounds great, maybe, but how do I know if I'm really a disciple? Like, I, I, I want to be, I want to go that step. How do I know? Well, it's, it's not some mystical, intangible, spiritual thing. Like, if you're an electrician's apprentice, you know it. Like, you say, hey, who's your boss? Whose apprentice are you? And you'd be like, well, Levi is my boss. Or if you're learning the piano, you know you are, and you know who your teacher is. Like, it's not some mystery. You know you are a disciple of Jesus because you are purposely practicing it. Following Jesus is about becoming. We are the product of our influences, and so we need to choose wisely. So, let me ask you some questions. What product have your current influences created? Are you 100% satisfied with where your current influences have brought you? Do your relationships bear the fruit of healthy inputs? Do your thoughts and actions and feelings and reactions show the life-giving influence of Jesus? Are you tired of letting yourself be influenced by things that just rile you up or stress you out or make you angry and anxious or irritated? Are you ready to become more than a fan of Jesus? Are you ready to step out of the crowd 
and become or continue being one of the people personally chosen by God himself to bring his kingdom to earth now? If so, then you are invited to apply for apprenticeship. How do you do that? It's really simple. First, you need, we need to decide to accept Jesus' invitation. Accepting, it's a, it's a choice. It's a purposeful decision that, yes, I am going to be his apprentice. It doesn't, it's not something that happens accidentally and maybe just happens to the select few. It's not something we're born into. It's not something we just hope to become. No, we consciously choose it. And so tell him, I want you to be my influence and my king. And then ask him to teach and guide you daily. In fact, the shower, the morning shower, is a great time for a company meeting and saying, okay, uh, mentor, okay, uh, master, what are we going to learn today? What are we going to do today? Show me where you're guiding me. Teach me. And then do it. Follow him. Study him. Study the Gospels like we're doing with the, with the book of Mark. And study the New Testament of what it looked like to follow him in the first century context. In fact, go back to our series on practicing the art of following Jesus. That's how you practice it. You, you take time to practice silent solitude and prayer. Uh, commit to being outwardly focused together. Practice blessing people. Practice frugality and generosity. Regularly eat and drink with people, like doing the things Jesus did. Find times to, and ways to worship God for who he is and, and what he's done. Purposely choose to enjoy what God has given you through celebration of his goodness and his care. And there's, there's other practices also that we can practice in, in following Jesus and becoming his disciple. See, who we are is the result of the influences of our lives. And God, through Jesus, has given us the ability to rewrite the script of our lives. He's given us the ability to become who he created us to be, to become like the greatest person who ever lived. Like, imagine what a family of Jesus's apprentices would be like to live with. Or a family of Jesus' apprentices, what would they would be like to live next door to? What about an office of disciples working and interacting with each other? What would that be like? Or maybe neighborhoods being influenced by people who have purposely chosen to be with and learn from Jesus. And if you're part of Cross Creek, what would happen if we, the people of Cross Creek, committed to being disciples who become like Jesus in every part of our lives? Honestly, if these things happen, the world would never be the same. But, I mean, how do I know? Because it happened 2,000 years ago. The world was changed forever because of Jesus' disciples. And it's actually been happening ever since. And it can happen with us now. Everything changes when we allow our story to be fully influenced by the story of Jesus. It's just like Paul talked about in Colossians. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Thanks for watching this week's content put out by Cross Creek Community Church. Uh, thanks for joining us on this journey through Mark, the story of Jesus. Uh, there'll be lots of content for you available online, YouTube, and podcast. But also don't forget we meet in person on Sundays at 4.30 in South Salem at 525 Idlewood Drive. So find out more on our website, yourcrosscreek.com. We also have uh, stuff for kids this summer, some great lessons put out by the Bible Project. So we're really excited about some of the things that are happening over at Cross Creek, and we're just really glad to see you here online.
uh, send us your information via the welcome form. Say hello, uh, request a Bible, request prayer, or join a small group. Uh, it's all online there for you. And we'll see you next week. Bye.